Okay, welcome back everyone to another episode of the Raw Knowledge Podcast with your host as ever, myself, Alex Connor. And today, of course, I'm back with another brilliant mind and we're going to have some more thought-provoking and tantalizing conversations for you to extrapolate some applicable knowledge and leave you with some entertainment at the very least too. And I'm joined by someone else around the world today by none other than Valentin Tambosi. Thank you for joining me, my friend. How are you this morning for you, evening for me? Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I'm fine. And this is my first podcast with somebody from Australia. So so I'm really excited to do this. Um, I've had many, many podcasts the last few years, but this is the first one from Australia. So I'm looking forward to the conversation, man. Fantastic. And my privilege to be able to uh, host your first podcast in this part of the world. I'm sure it's going to be a cracker conversation. I know you've got a multitude of experience, uh, which not only is going to be great for the listeners, but I'm sure I'm going to take some value out of this myself. So to set the scene, as we always do, Valentin, can you tell the listeners, for those who may not be aware of who you are, what you do, and more importantly, why you do it? Yes, sir. Okay. So the basics will be, I've been training for over 10 years. I've been coaching for over five years. I'm also a speaker at the Intelligent Strength Strength Coach Program here in Vienna, which is taking place at Dust Gym, which is right over there, two minutes from here. And I've been coaching. When I started out with coaching, it was mainly focused on personal training, which is a very good base later on for online coaching, which is what I do now. So initially, I was coaching many different people. I was coaching housewives, business people, whoever, right? And now I'm zoning in and focusing on people that wanting to step on stage and be competitive athletes in natural competitions. So that will be a very, very rough outline of what I do right now. Mm, No, for sure. And it's good to get a bit of a synopsis as well. Now, for those listening as well, you're currently in Vienna at the moment as well, based in Europe, as some of the things you mentioned there, if people were listening intently would have picked up. Before we dive into some more sort of pointed-ended questions, was there anything specifically that was the protagonist that got you into this industry? For example, was it something that an experience that you went through in adversity, or was this something that you'd, you'd always been passionate about? You'd always been a kid that's been active, and it was just a natural evolution. I've certainly been active in sports throughout my childhood uh, and growing up. That definitely had something to do with it. But I got into training with weights and bodybuilding very, very late. I started when I was around 20. And the, the reason I wanted to get into coaching was because I got so interested in bodybuilding and later on competing in bodybuilding. And I knew the like getting there would not be something that happens overnight or from one week to the next. I have to work myself into that and first have to work with people that are just average normal people, right? People that want to look better, people that want to feel better. So when I did the strength coach program of intelligent strength, that actually brought the idea into my head that I want to coach people. Before that, that was not really something I thought would be something that would be down the road for myself because I was always passionate about 
learning things, but I wasn't aware that my passion was more so for teaching. And that's basically what coaching is, right? It's, it's teaching and learning. So that really came out of that strength coach program when I realized, okay, it's not just knowing about these things like biomechanics, anatomy and all that stuff, but actually applying that to other people, not just myself and learning how they respond to what I tell them and what I what I do with them. Right. So that was really eye-opening because before that I was like, okay, I, I like to do sports myself. I like to be active, all of these things, but being able to take somebody else and make them better with these tools that I have now available to myself was really something that like changed my mind. It made me realize, okay, coaching is going to be what I want to do. Mm -hmm. I just want to go back and underscore something there as well, which was really critical, which is knowledge is, not quite effective without application. So I love to say that knowledge is power and that is true enough in the sense, but at the same time, if it's not applied and we can't communicate this to our clients, then really it's almost rendered useless. And that is a key topic I want to delve in today because you know that natural evolution where you go from in-person coaching to be able to then do that in an online forum is a much more advanced skill set in my experience, in my opinion. So perhaps before we dive into that, could we talk more about your time, personal training, one-on-one -on -one, or in the coaching? Like you said, you're starting off with what we would classify as general population. What are the main skill sets that you learned there that have been able to help you evolve to the point where now you're an established coach and, and then we'll sort of diversify from there? Absolutely. So when, when people think about coaching or personal training, they will often think about the hard skills necessary to be able to do that. But when you work with people, you have to really develop soft skills and you have to be able to like get these little details out of people that will enable you to help them much, much better. So I wasn't really, I'm certainly still an introverted person, but personal training forced me to step out of that and be able to like be much more open to people and be more, more approachable for people, right? Because if you're just somebody that walks through life like that, you're not going to be able to, to get a whole lot of personal training clients. I mean, nobody's going to notice you if you just have your head down and look on the floor the, the, all day. So um, you have to develop certain skills, especially social skills, to be able to get closer to people and then be able to engage people so they actually listen to you. Because once I get them to engage with me, I can... I can demonstrate what I know and they will quickly realize, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. And then I basically can coach that person. I can take that person from A to B, but in order to get there, you have to develop cer certain social skills to be able to do that. And I, I didn't really realize before personal training, how important that was. It, I, I, I'm a fast learner, so I quickly picked it up, but it still took some time for me to understand, okay, this is as important as knowing about nutrition, knowing about training, knowing about recovery, knowing about these exercises, knowing how to coach a person. So I think this is something that I very often see nowadays with with online coaches that have no personal training experience. That is a huge red flag in my book. I mean, it's not the same for everyone, but if somebody who has extensive personal training experience and they go into online coaching, they have a huge advantage because simply the way you instruct people in personal training will carry over one-to-one 
to how you send voice notes to a client in an online coaching situation. It will carry over to how you write emails. Your communication level is going to be top-notch compared to somebody who's only knowing about emails and WhatsApp and not knowing how to talk to a person when it comes to nutrition and training. There's a huge, huge difference when it comes to that. So definitely with personal training, the social skills, the soft skills are a huge plus that you gain from that and that you have to learn in order to be successful there. Mm, absolutely. I think that is worth really emphasizing as well because you know we do see now a lot of people who can gain traction from social media. They have a lot of popularity. They have a big audience. They can sell to that audience. They can coach to that audience, but it can often leave a bit of a tainted experience for those clients. There are a lot of people that don't have that luxury. So they try to go online. I've done it myself. And you, you're trying to run before you can walk to use an analogy. But even if you do make it successful, as you said, you are going to be on the back foot. And I personally believe the client is at a disadvantage because how can you ever really know when you're instructing a client, whether it's from a biomechanical perspective or whether it's even a nuanced perspective, the language, as you said, the voice notes, there's all of these little nuances, which really is the art of coaching. We have the backbone, which is the science, of course, but then the individuality comes with the hang on, it's called experience because when this happens, I've found that this is usually occurring. Now, of course, there's always a lot of uncertainty and nothing is guaranteed. But as you said, you've got a plethora of experience to draw from. So I just really wanted to highlight that point because this audience that we have, a lot of health enthusiasts, a lot of coaches, a lot of trainers, a lot of upcoming trainers as well. And I just think it's worth doing the time and uh, then depending on where your personality sits, I know for myself, I always want to do some sort of one-on-one -on -one because I'm, a, I'm very much a people's person, even if it's a masterclass, even if it's just keeping it very high-end, which I like to do these days. I just think that you can keep sharpening that sword, which makes you an overall better coach. So I guess to dovetail off that, how did you, can you talk us through the actual process of you transferring to an online coach? Because I think there's this bit of a disconnection. And I was having a chat to some fellow coaches today about you get your qualification, you go in the industry. Now, depending on where you are in the world, here in Australia, it's very easy to get your qualification. I think this is why we see some of the best strength coaches in the world in Australia. And we have a lot of the worst uh, personal trainers in Australia, because we have Everyone that just wants to think, hey, I'm fit. I want to help people. The level or the barrier to entry is very low. And then the business or the actual application between, as you said, the soft skills of how to get clients, how to talk clients, lead generation, all of this, and then continue to you know, evolve those clients, if you will, and keep them coming back as a different skill set. So I think by unpacking perhaps your journey here and not sort of just going, okay, you were here, now you were here, let's talk about the in-between and connect it will actually be very, very helpful for a lot of people listening. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So this is something I talk to some of my clients very often because a lot of them are beginning coaches and they've been training for a while, but now they want to get into coaching. And very often they see like the shiny online coach spot, right? And I'm like, 
before you go there, you have to put in a few years on the personal training end um, because you will learn so much, like I said earlier. But how do you get from the personal training spot to the online coaching spot? Now, this is a very good question because it really comes down to something that a lot of people don't think is valuable. It's just you have to be the authority in a given gym. You have to be the guy in that particular gym because when you are the guy that knows his stuff and people already know he's personal training people there, it's very easy to take a few of those personal training clients and just offer them a hybrid model of personal training and online coaching. So you tell them, okay, usually I train you four days a week. Now we bring that down to two days a week, but you also get nutritional support for online coaching. Now with one foot through the door, they're already being online coached, right? So they have the best of both worlds. They have something in online coaching and they have something in personal training and you put it together into a hybrid model. And over time, the person will become more sufficient, more secure with their training technique. Everything on a training end that requires personal training will be able to be transferred over to online coaching. So now you not only have the person with one foot in the door when it comes to nutrition, but also training. Now they simply get their training programs from you, their nutrition programs from you, and you maybe see them for a technique checkup once a month or something like that. Now you've basically turned a full-time personal training client to hybrid model to a full online coaching client. And you can just repeat that over and over again. Now, certainly there's certain populations where that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? If you have a pure beginner and that person enjoys personal training sessions with you, that person will not just simply say, okay, let's do online coaching because they come to you because of the experience of the, of the personal training. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to try to get that person away from that. But there's many, many other people, many, many other training levels and individuals where you can take them from personal training to online coaching through that hybrid model that I just described. And this is exactly what I did in 2016, because when I started personal training, I knew Personal training is nice. Personal training is teaching me a lot. Personal training is developing certain skills that I cannot develop with online coaching. But I want to have a full-time online coaching business. And that requires to take these personal training clients, tell them up front what my goal is, and then put them through the personal training, the hybrid model, and then the full on online coaching. And I've done that with many, many people and it works every single time. So every time a client asks me who wants to start coaching, they get really disappointed at first because I tell them you have to be a very good personal trainer first, establish who you are, let people know in one gym or numerous gyms that you are the guy that knows his stuff and that can help people. And then from there, once you have reached that status, you can actually go into the hybrid model and then push people over to online coaching. I love that. I think that's a great explanation. Very clear, very concise. The hybrid is probably the key thing there because, and that this has been explained to me in other realms um, and other models for other skill sets in life as well, where it's, it's often not talked about, but you can have a blend. And I think having that amalgamation is really key because as you said, it's not going to be for everyone, but it's a way to bridge that gap just as we were talking, it's probably worth asking as well at this point. Now, for people listening, a caveat, like they can't obviously rest their laurels on this, but for you, what did that timeline look like to become, you know, the key person of influence, if you like, in your gym, in your area? Could we talk perhaps 
some numbers. Again, caveat, it's not saying that these numbers are the ones to aim for, but just to give people a more uh, a well-rounded understanding of how many sessions you were running and um, how long it took you to get there versus what the transition looked like from the hybrid to the online. And then when you made the jump, what you actually did um, to be now a full-time online coach. Yeah, so I definitely went through the personal training phase rather fast. So that was a total of two years. And in order to get from, okay, I am nobody at this gym to I am somebody that everybody knows and everybody knows I'm coaching and able to help people, that was roughly a year. And actually, if you know what you're doing, you can speed that up tremendously. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm certain if you take an experienced personal trainer like yourself and I put you in any gym anywhere in the world, it's going to take you a few months until you have a dozen clients easily right? Mm -hmm. Easily because you have the skills, you know what you're doing, but somebody that is completely new, completely fresh, it will take them time to actually be confident in that environment. I mean, a gym, even for people that are trained is intimidating to some mm -hmm. point. I mean, the more high level the gym, the more intimidating it is. So you just have to find your groove in that particular environment before you can actually make the next step. And then from those two years, it was another year to actually get the hybrid model running to the degree where I wanted it to be. So, so that I actually have a nice blend of personal training and online coaching. And from there, it really is a lot simpler because you already have that online coaching base in your pocket, right? So now not only do you get personal training clients, you also get people that just want online coaching that haven't been personal trained by you. So all of a sudden you now have these personal training clients come for you and you have online coaching clients. So you have a lot of inquiries from two different populations basically. And like I said, once you have the hybrid model going, you, are, you basically made it because from there, you just have to continue to put in the work, make sure everything is top notch as far as the quality goes from your personal training and also from your online coaching. And then you can just decide, do I want to keep this or do I want to go further towards the online coaching, online coaching uh, business? Do I just want to do that or want to maintain the hybrid model? Mm, absolutely. Apart from the freedoms that come with online coaching, is there a specific reason why you wanted to move to online coaching yourself? Yes, because I wanted to coach people from all over the world. That was my main thing. I mean, the flexibility and everything is very nice. I mean, you can work literally from everywhere. You just take your laptop and you go. But the, the possibility to be able to work with people from everywhere and I currently have clients in seven different countries. That is something I want to emphasize for myself and want to take advantage of. I don't just want to coach people from Vienna or from Austria or from German speaking countries here in Europe. I want to coach people everywhere. I take a lot of pride into that. And it's just, to me, that is something that you have to take advantage of when you are in an online business. Like why would you limit yourself to just one country or one area? Mm, absolutely. It makes sense because, you know, there's so many people out there who want the coaching and oftentimes it's not just where, for example, you go to a gym for one-on-one -on -one coaching, you're probably going to have to pick from that gym or even in your local area, you might have to travel to another gym. But with online, you've literally just opened a catalog of limitless opportunities to get anyone to coach you. So I think that is a, is a really key point. In terms of your clientele, you specialize mainly in competition. 
prep athletes, physique athletes, if you will, do you still take on any, any clients that are more general population or, for example, may just want to look very good but don't want to compete or are you just non-negotiable, fully um, comp prep clientele? I make the distinction between, okay, when somebody is a very high-level competition prep client, then I will take, the, will take them over somebody else who's a lifestyle client, obviously. But I still take on lifestyle clients who are, for example, in a country where I want to get into, right? So that, that way, I'm basically starting off the client base through those lifestyle clients, and then I can get into the the real target group, so to speak. I still will coach those lifestyle clients for a long period of time, mm -hmm. obviously, but I still use them to actually get into that country and become like a name in that country. That makes a lot of sense to me because if you're just simply focusing competition prep or something that is a niche within a niche that is mm -hmm. so tiny and so few people do it, you will take a lot longer to actually get known and get like, let people know that you are actually a very good coach in that particular, uh, for that particular audience. So um, I think that makes a lot of sense when you actually are a little bit more flexible when it comes to client inquiries and who you want to work with. Mm, for sure. Do you have any clients in Australia at this point? I have one client so far, yeah. Wh whereabouts specifically? Um, I actually don't know. <laughs> I would have to look it up where he actually is. Um, all I see are training videos from the gym. So I can tell yeah. you how the gym looks, but that's it. No, fair enough. I'll put you on the spot there. Just wondering if it was anyone uh, in the local area oh, in Queensland. Oh, um, I want to ask some more specific questions now. So how many clients are you generally or will have on your roster and manage? And where do you think for you the point of diminishing return is? Because I think this is quite individualized to coach to coach. I think depending on the way you want to go, I think a qualitative approach is always best, but that is my opinion. But then again, some people can still deliver quality with high numbers. So I guess for you, what have you found to be your threshold where it starts to get to the point where you lose quality or you lose your own lifestyle advantages? Because obviously, you know, you need to lead by example. You've got things you want to do. And I imagine you're passionate about your own training as well. Absolutely. So the target number of clients you can have and manage in a qualitative way is definitely going to be a moving target. Mm -hmm. Because when I think back, when I had like the first time I hit 30 online clients, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm full. This is a full-time job. I, 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 I can barely do the stuff I need to do for myself just to take care of my clients. And now when I think about ha now having 55 plus clients and it sort of like gets more efficient by the, by the month, basically, it just feels easier than ever before at that number. Now, there's certainly going to be a threshold. For me, that threshold in the past was around 50. Now I see that threshold more closer to 60, right? With actually not the same quality, but increased quality as far as the coaching itself goes, because you just get so much faster and more efficient with absolutely everything. The way you answer emails, the way you send voice notes, the way you do training programs, everything just gets so much faster and quicker, the longer you do it. In the end, it's just experience and practice, right? 
I mean, when the first time you do a training program, you just think about every little detail and you think, is this going to work? Is that going to work? And so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. You no longer have to do that after a few years into this because, you know, this is going to work and I'm just going to type this out and send it over. So the time you can save on these simple tasks is going to be huge the longer you do this. And by every time, every time you save a little time on a particular task, you can pick up two extra clients and another client and another client. And so it grows over time. So actually it's kind of like an inverse relationship. You kind of have more clients, but you spend less time on each client, not because you give them less attention, but you just get so much better at coaching people. And therefore I see my current threshold probably around 65 or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean I will have to go there by the end of next month. I will slowly work my way there and just see how life quality and quality of coaching develops as I do that. Because there's certainly coaches out there that have like 80, 90, 100 online clients. I'm very, I'm very careful with those type of numbers. Like when I look at my coaching and what I do with clients, there's no way I can coach 80 people. That, that's not, that's not going to happen. That, that would be, that would be insane. So 65, 60 to 65 is probably my threshold right now. But remember, it takes years to work up to that. People hear those numbers and they think, okay, I'm, I'm just going to dive into that and aim for 60 straight from the get-go. That's not going to work. Build your way up to 15, then 20, then 25, and so on and so forth, and see how you're doing with not just the quality of the coaching itself, but also with your own life quality. Yeah, no, I think that's um, a really important message as well you can't compare yourself to other people and it depends on as you said the level of service you're offering but it's like anything you refine your systems and processes over time and i really want to dive into a few of those key specifics but before i do i don't know if you're aware of a gentleman and a, a really great coach by the name of luke tullock who is actually over in the netherlands at the minute he's australian originally and he was speaking on his podcast the other day how, and this might elicit some experiences, and I'd love you to add in on this, Valentin, for example, where he had an online client. This online client said, you know, this is my goal. I want to lose three to four kilos. It was a very lifestyle-based client, very easy. And Luke said, hey, look, cool. I can help you do this. Let's do it. Started him up, made some initial changes in the first two weeks, you know, obviously touch base with them every week. Uh, so not a, not a super high touch, sort of like a moderate touch um, point client in terms of communication, and then maybe made some changes, he said, in the fourth week. Anyway, we got to the end of the 12 weeks, he said, we achieved his goal. He says, are you happy? The guy turns around and says, well, no, I don't even know why I paid you. You didn't do anything. Now, the stigma behind that is that a coach must constantly be micromanaging and in touch with their client or constantly providing new or novelty stimuli to actually be of value. And I'm using air quotes here for people listening. So the dichotomy there is, or the facade perhaps is a better word, that a good coach, an experienced coach, should really make, and this sounds a little bit backward, as little changes as possible or only changes when necessary. And if they have the informed information, they should be able to create and formulate a plan that doesn't require, obviously with comp prep, there's a little bit more to it, but a lot of high touch points because then you're really wasting your time and perhaps then 
what you provided to the client initially wasn't that good. So you're constantly having to rectify the things that you've done. Now, I don't know if you want to add in on that. If not, I'll turn it into a question for you, Valentin. What I would stress to a client like that, or when I see somebody showing signs of thinking like that, as far as a client goes, I always remind people that it's all about results. And Mm. when you tell me this is the desired result, and we have to achieve that by this deadline, and we do that, then I hold you to that, right? Because if the client says, I want to lose three to four kgs, and we have to do that within this certain time frame, and we did it, then I will just simply show them the email of what they told me and tell you, there we go. We achieved your goal. What is the next goal? Because if you think this is it and you just get a coach for the experience and for the entertainment, then I'm the wrong coach. So it's always results over entertainment when it comes to that. And I think a lot of people think with coaching, they get a certain level of entertainment. And I make make it clear to people that inquire with me, that is not what I'm about. That is not what I do. And I think it helps to be very clear and distinct and direct with your communication right from the beginning to actually establish that and let people know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll just add on to that as well. And I think setting expectations is absolutely huge. And if there's anything I've learned off my mentors and from great coaches, as you just said, it's being very, very, very clear on the expectations and also what is going to happen before it happens so that the client is well informed they know exactly what to expect there's no surprises and i believe if you especially if there is a paper trail as well just because people can flip out and decide to change their mind you can always go back to that and say hey look well this is what was agreed upon this is the conversation we had this was the expectation there was no hidden agendas and i urge every trainer listen to really think about that with your experiences or with your onboarding, make sure that you set expectations and be very clear on what the experience will be and don't try to take on clients just for the sake of it. It's better to say no to a client and, you know, refer out if it's not a good fit rather than just taking someone on and wasting your time and theirs. Valentin, I'd like to talk now about, yeah, you're obviously someone who's very methodical. Um, From what I can ascertain, you're very strategic, very calculated, very clean cut. Could we talk about some of your systems and processes and how they've evolved? And for example, it might be things that you would go back and tell yourself as a younger coach in terms of the touch points, the communication I don't know whether you're someone who has your own Google Sheets or whether you use a templated system like an application and sort of perhaps give us some real life examples and walkthroughs of what that looks like. And then perhaps maybe you can even give us a bit of a a day in the life, which might be a better way to package all of that up. Absolutely. So this is something that I talk about very often because I think it's absolutely crucial that people know about the workflow and the pipeline you have to have to actually make this as efficient as possible. So I'm very proud of the fact that the pipeline I built in my mind and then put into reality in 2015 is still going. That's Mm -hmm. basically something I thought up for myself and then put into practice because back in 2015, when I started to build this little pipeline, I couldn't 
I couldn't ask anybody here in Austria. Nobody was online coaching. So I was going by what I heard online or saw online and then had a vague idea of what has to be done to actually be efficient with online coaching. So basically everything is in Google Sheets. I don't use an app. I know apps are very popular when it comes to that, but I use Google Sheets simply because it's so versatile and I can use it on any device. Uh, that sounds like not a biggie, but it is because I can basically work from anywhere. I can take this iMac, this phone, my laptop, and just do the same exact work as long as I have an internet connection. That's it. That's all I need. And I can just seamlessly go from client document to client document. I can send emails from the same inbox. All of these little things that make it super seamless. And as long as I have a device with me, I can work. So that is something that is huge. And I always tell clients, well, sometimes you will hear something in the background because I'm currently on the subway or in the supermarket and I'm just sending you a voice note because I can, because it, everything is just connected. It doesn't matter if I'm sitting here or if I'm walking outside, I can work from anywhere. And that was something that was very, very important to me. Um, another thing that is important for me personally, because I just, just simply don't like any file attachments in the emails. Everything is in the cloud. <laughs> I absolutely hate it when clients send me like a training program or something. We have access to the same shared training program on Google Drive, and we both access the exact same document. That means if a client logs his data in there, I immediately see it. So it's live updates, and we don't have to communicate, hey, can you please log your last training session? Because it's already in there. They just log it on their phone in Google Sheets as they're doing their training sessions. So everything is built on as little work as necessary by the client, make it foolproof, and at the same time, make it super flexible and versatile for myself so I can work from anywhere. That, that would be the pipeline and the workflow in a nutshell. I also, I also work as far as the communication channels. I work with email and with WhatsApp. That's basically it. I know a lot of people do video check-ins. I've opted for emails and stayed with emails simply because I like the efficiency. I'm somebody that can pinpoint problems and put them into words better than I can actually be on camera talking to a client about certain topics, right? Um, I don't have a problem with it, but it's definitely something I prefer to do through email and through text. I know a lot of coaches who prefer video check-ins and that is obviously perfectly fine. Um, so that's what I would recommend to people have at least two communication channels where you can on one channel, do your check-ins and basically have the baseline for your coaching and for the check-in process. And a second one where you can basically do daily communication, where you can uh, send training clips and give technique feedbacks and these little things. So that will be in a nutshell. Yeah. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. That's a great little overview. I think Google Sheets is highly underrated. Uh, that's something that I've utilized myself over the years. I've tried many different systems and I just find for the reasons that you've already mentioned so well that Google Sheets is absolutely phenomenal. And I think that for a lot of young coaches and perhaps people looking at getting into the industry, I would urge them to get really familiar with that. I think there's a lot of hacks on there as well. Even if you just do a bit of a YouTube on it, you know, some of the things you can do and then practicing and why you are not busy, set your systems up now. So when you get busy, your workflow is very seamless because you've got a lot of time on your hands initially. And I think a lot of coaches come on stock when they get an influx of clients and then 
oh, wow, you've not built your spreadsheets. You don't have any visual cues or aids as well, which can leave you unstuck. Which leads me to my next question, Valentin. When we talk about coaching cues and feedback, you know, you said you've got a couple of mediums of contact there. WhatsApp, absolutely phenomenal because you can keep the video quality. Do you have a library of exercises? Do you send exercises live to a client? Talk us through the process of critiquing a client and how you communicate that, for example, when you want feedback on a specific gym lift and then how you would deliver that back. And if you like, you can use a couple of real life examples, which is always good. Absolutely. So when I build a training program, I link certain exercises through a video link to the exercise video library for the client. I mean, we use some exercises, let's say something for your lat or for your back, where we choose a very particular execution. So I have to be certain the client actually sees that and not just reads lat pull down. That can mean anything, right? So I'm very particular of what this particular lat pull down is going to look like and then provide a video link with that. And then when, especially when this is a weakness of the client, as far as muscular balance goes, I ask them, send me a video of a, a working set from that particular exercise so I can actually see what you're doing and send that to me on WhatsApp. And what I do then is, if there are any mistakes, if there are any execution breakdowns, I will screenshot that particular position and then draw over that in WhatsApp and send it back to them with a voice note telling them what I want to see in that particular position. So if they make a mistake during a repetition, it could be anywhere from two to five screenshots that I take and then draw over these screenshots to explain to them additionally with the voice note, what is going on there? Because just sending them screenshots is not going to help. But sending them the screenshots, explaining them the different positions and explaining them why we have to fix that through the voice note is going to be huge as far as technique feedbacks go. I do this all the time. And I do so many voice notes just for video training videos and technique feedbacks every single day. It's, it's, it's part of my day by now. It's as important as the check-ins itself. And it's just going to uplift the training quality by a lot. Mm, for sure. Are you someone who, and you've already alluded to this early on, you, you told me before we started recording, you usually like to get stuck into your day in the morning. Are you someone who does an AM and a PM shift? Or would you have a, for example, 24-hour period that you set with your clients where you say, hey, look, I would always get back to you within 24 hours. Do you have specific check-in days for different clients? Perhaps talk us through that and even like a bit of a, a day in the life, if you will, from what your day looks like from getting up as an online coach to going to bed, please. Absolutely. So I kind of get into the groove right after getting up. I'm not a big fan. And I did that in the past. I got up, I meditated for a few minutes, I took a walk, then I was reading for like 30 to 60 minutes, all of that is fine. But nowadays, I just want to get up and get to work, right? Maybe that phase will come back sooner or later. But for now, I just want to jump up, get in front of this computer and start working. Because at that point, I already have a few check-ins ready. And as I'm working through my first few check-ins, the next few check-ins roll in. So I'm, I feel like I'm right on time, right on task as the clients check in. So it's a very prompt and fast response time, first of all. And I also like to get a little bit ahead of my day and have some and free up some time early in the morning so I have more time later to train and whatnot. So that's what I like to do in the morning. After that, I usually train around 10, 11 a.m. It, it really depends. And sometimes it just fluctuates depending on the day. And 
after that, I personally don't like to work right after training because I'm just, I'm tired, I'm fatigued. So I take a little nap or something, I eat something. And then later on in the afternoon, I get back into work, which also makes a lot of sense because by then you have another few check-ins come in that you can actually sit down and work on. It's not really worth sitting down here for a single check-in. That's not efficiency. <laughs> you want to have a few check-ins before you sit down and then dig into the work. And everything that comes after that, if I still have check-ins left, I obviously do those, is going to be programming or voice notes or technique feedbacks for clients. Um, until I go to bed, basically. So it's, it's, it's around the clock. It's basically work, train, work. And it's, it's, it's just something you have to work yourself into. You also will notice after a few years or months doing this, you have very productive times during the day and not so productive times. I'm not very productive around noon. That's why I don't do a whole lot of work there. I get really productive in the morning and later in the afternoon, evening, right? So that's where I place my... AM shift and my PM shift, basically. And between that, I train and relax. So obviously, this is possible because I have all the freedom. Uh, I mean, people that have a family and so on and so forth won't be able to do it exactly like that. But I just take advantage of the fact that I'm completely flexible when it comes to my scheduling. Mm -hmm. And you have a check-in system with your clients where they check in with you once a week specifically, and then obviously they can communicate with you as and when needed, or do you have a high and a low touch sort of check-in depending on the athlete? I imagine with comp-ref athletes, it's at least once a week because obviously there's a lot more confounding factors and variables that are changing, but what does that look like or how do you like to run that with your clients? And I guess to kind of fill that question out a little bit, what are the things that you like to include in your check-ins? For example, I imagine this is in your spreadsheet. Are you someone who has say sleep, you know, you're looking at stress levels, alcohol, you know, macros, what, what does it kind of look like from your perspective? And what are the things that you like to include that you found to be, the most valuable for you as a coach to be able to provide better feedback to the client. Absolutely. So every client come prep or not is checking in once a week. I just prefer that because I noticed the communication is a lot better. And actually once a client suggests, Hey, can I check in every two weeks? Usually a whole lot of stuff happens between those check-ins within a week, not so much can happen. Right? So within two weeks, that's just two check-ins a month. Uh, I'm not too big of a fan of that. So once a week for every client, whether it's lifestyle or competition prep and towards the end of competition prep, it's usually every three days and sometimes every day, depending on the phase we're in. So that's the check-ins and everybody has a fixed uh, weekday, right? So everybody check, I like this particular client knows it's Tuesday. The other client knows it's always Saturday. And I expect that check-in to arrive on that particular day. They don't have to send it uh, by a certain time on that day because I'm just used to being here all day, right? So they don't have to send it until 10 a.m. or 11 a.m. whenever they feel best. And especially when you work with a lot of international clients, that's unrealistic anyway because of different time zones. So whenever you can on that particular day, send your check-in. What information do I expect and want to see in a check-in? I want to know if there are any, like any big events in your week. Is there anything wrong with your sleep? Is there anything that causes a whole lot of stress at work or at home? Like all of these things, 
uh, need to be included in the check-in. And it's not so much that I give them like a checklist where they have to go through. I wait for the client to mention those things himself because I want to know how they communicate the problem to me. So if somebody if somebody has horrible sleep and they don't tell me for extended period of time, I know that tells me they are not even aware how important sleep is. Right. So that way I can, I can basically put together a little client profile in my head and see what are they communicating to me and what are they not communicating to me? That is very, very important because if they just simply go for a list and do check boxes or something like that, uh, the danger is that they just stop communicating with you altogether as far as what they write. They will just check the boxes and they will not be able to communicate what is actually going on. It's like input, output, input, output, input, output, and then something happens. I'm not a fan of that. I want people to tell me what is going on and be able to articulate what is going on. So that's that. And they also tell me or send me check-in pictures, depending on lifestyle client or competition prep client. It depends on what poses I want to see, but they send me pictures every single week. So I know what is going on there. Uh, and based on, and this ties in with the workflow that I mentioned earlier, I basically only have to open two documents for every client check-in. That is their tracking sheet, which holds their macronutrients, their weights, their sleep. If they track any stress markers that will be in there as well. And then the training program. So it's basically just two documents that I have to open for every single client check-in. And then I go through that, take a look at it, take a look at the email and then write the response. Yeah. I really like the humanized approach of that feedback as well. I think that's important because it can, I mean, online coaching in itself, as the name states, can become quite, you know, mechanical and mechanistic, which you know, is good for, for structure, but I think being able to communicate, whether that is via an email or a voice message to be able to get an actual dialogue with the client is really critical because as you said, it does give you insights towards how that client communicates, perhaps their strengths and weaknesses, what languages they use and what they're aware or not aware of. And I think, you know, that's a really good nuance point there, Valentin, because that's not really something that is spoken about a lot. And I think through these conversations, these are the little gems, if you will, that really come out that can separate what we think from perception online coaching is versus what it can be. And I say can be because it's different from coach to coach. And it's not saying that, you know, every, each coach is like, that's the right way. You have to find your own style. But sometimes by listening to other coaches and getting ideas, you might be able to even understand and conceptualize where you need your coaching or where you want that coaching to go, depending on you as the coach, their personality as well. So I think that's really critical. Have you had any experience with, and again, because we are dealing with, with yourself more clients for physique coaching, I imagine a lot of your clients are very adherent for the most part. They're very motivated. They're very disciplined, but have you had any instances where clients have not checked in or lacked in communication or adherence? And what are some of the tools that you use to facilitate that or even rectify or identify what's going on with that particular client or set of clients? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you work with competition prep clients, you have to work your way there. You're just not going to start out with this particular 
client. You're going to start out with regular people and they will have regular struggles. They will not be able to adhere to the diet 100%. And then you will just have to tell people or explain to people, okay, if you want to get from A to B by this deadline, this level of adherence is necessary. If it's okay that the deadline moves a little bit further out, then this level of adherence will be appropriate. So it all depends on what you want to get out of all of this. Like you're paying me, you're going to the gym, you're training, you're spending money on all of this. You want to get something for that. That's usually where I start out when there's adherence issues because adherence issues to unpack that, you have to look at numerous things. You not just have to look at the deadline and everything. You have to look at the psychology and the person himself. How's their social environment? Are people around them supporting them? How much are they enjoying this? So is this actually their idea or is it the idea of their boyfriend or their girlfriend? Like all of these things play into that because very often people think they have to do something or people think they have to look a certain way or whatever. And then you have to, when we're not talking about competition prep client, obviously, you have to figure out why is the person actually doing that? Because if they don't know that themselves, that is a huge problem. And you wouldn't believe how many times when I asked a person about their why, they don't know what to say. They just think they have to do this. And usually it's somebody else that has told them that would be a good idea, but they don't even question it if that makes them more happy, if that is beneficial for their health, for their well-being and all of these things. So very often the why helps you figure out why there are adherence issues to begin with and then how to fix them. Yeah. I'm a big believer in the why. It's something that I include very early on in the conversations with all my clients. And I'm very quick to ascertain whether it's a client I want to take on because for me, it's about attitude and it doesn't matter, you know, whether this person is, you know, an, an athlete or has a great skill set or doesn't, if they've got the right attitude, we can work. But ultimately there's that set of questions of why. And if we can find that person's why, and it doesn't have to be big and grandiose, it can be whatever it means to them. But if they understand why, it creates purpose. And if you have purpose, therefore you have an unstoppable amount of motivation because you know why you're doing what you're doing. And the moment you don't have purpose in life is the moment where things get very dark. Everyone has purpose that is still living, whether that's to put a roof over your head, whether that's looking after your kids, it doesn't matter. And I think being able to help the client identify their why and get very clear on it, then you can work together as a team to ensure that, yes, we can achieve this, or do we need to actually define this goal more? Because sometimes the why the client has doesn't match up with the action. And it sounds really simple when I say this and I say to clients, hey, you want X, but you've been doing Z. Can I show you that? Does that make sense? Oh, no, Alex, it did seem so obvious. Yeah, but you know, you, 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 you want to look like a physique athlete, you're training like an endurance athlete. So if we want this, we this. And I think by sort of setting those expectations again and aligning it and then putting it back to the client and saying, is this, is this actually what you want? Because it's okay if you don't, but if you do, this is the requirement and, and making sort of no sort of hairs or graces around that and being very sort of clear, which uh, I think is even more uh, of a, of a, and importance when you're online coaching, because 80% of communication is body language. Like I can see you now, I can read your body language. If this was only a voice call, I'd have a lot less to go on. And sometimes that can be the case with clients. 
so I think it can it can come as a surprise when you sometimes if you have met your clients in person, you're like, wow, actually, I thought this, but now I've got this. <laughs> this right, right, absolutely. Maybe that's happened. I'd love to talk about now some of the biggest mistakes you see online coaches make and even mistakes that you've made yourself in the past, what they were and what you've learned from them. Well, one of the mistakes I have to go back to what we've mentioned earlier, just to emphasize it once more is the personal training experience. You need it, you need it, you need it. It's so, so important. It gives you so many skills that cannot be practiced or be taught online. It's impossible. You have to interact with people in the gym and actually coach them there. Everything is going to be a very nice carryover from that because the way you instruct somebody to change the execution on a, on a squat via voice note is going to be so much better when you've been able to do that in person in the gym when you can actually put that person into the right positions, right? So that is going to be number one. And I just see that around me so many times that people, they don't even have a hundred personal training sessions under their belts, but they're already online coaching. I'm like, how does that work? That's not a good combination. As far as another mistake that I've definitely made for myself is not not taking good care of myself and just taking care of clients, especially when you try to build the business as fast as possible, you tend to take a few clients on too much in a short period of time, and that will cost you later. Uh, it will not cost the client because if you're somebody like myself, it will always put the standard very, very high and try to deliver for the client and not even let the client notice that I'm not doing well. But Sooner or later, you will just feel it yourself and you will, you will reflect that on your client. Your client will notice, hey, wait a minute, the response time is different. The, the replies are shorter and shorter because the person, the coach himself, is probably not taking care of himself as he needs to. So the higher the client load, the more you have to take care of yourself because it's just the whole thing has to be a well-oiled machine and you are the machine. <laughs> Everything depends on the coach himself right? If like this one coach is not able to do check-ins for a week, 50 plus people won't get a check-in that week, right? It's not somebody else being able to jump in and do the job for you. It's just you, right? So that was definitely a big learning for myself in 2019 because I traveled so much and that really, really killed me. So as far as productivity and everything goes, I tried to keep it as best as possible at the highest level, but in the end, it just wasn't enjoyable for me anymore, right? So I had to take a little break from that and especially from travel, traveling, which uh, the pandemic did for me, basically. But I, I basically had to remind myself, okay, I have to take care of myself first so I can take the best care of my clients. And that is something that some people probably don't have to learn. I had to learn it the hard way. Other people will be like, well, obviously that's of course I will do that, but I wasn't aware of that. So if the coach does well, the clients will do well as well. And the more clients you have, the truer that is. Mm, no, for sure. I think serving yourself before you serve others is a backward concept, but one that the sooner you get the hang of, the better. Apart from traveling, and obviously, as you just said there, it's been brought to a bit of a stop by uh, the old C word, but what are some of the things apart from, you mentioned training, obviously that's a big part of your life and perhaps talk to us about your training. What sort of training do you like? Are you very much into competing yourself? Are you now on the back burner? Um, do you like strength? Are you someone who likes to change it up regularly? Talk us 
uh, through a little bit of, of what you like to do and maybe other therapies as well you enjoy to keep the balance to make sure that you've got a level head and uh, you have the energy to to actually put back into your clients absolutely so my training by now is simply focused on hypertrophy and training for the stage right so it's very specific to my strengths and weaknesses and making sure i bring everything to a top-notch level. That's basically my training in a nutshell. And now I look at my training also as something that is a downtime for me. So I'm not checking my phone during training. I'm not answering voice notes, anything like that. I used to do that all the time just to tell myself, okay, I'm, I'm constantly busy. I'm constantly busy. And that didn't really help me with my training itself, nor with my stress levels. It actually, when you have the training stress and in the midst of the training stress, you add work stress to that. That's just, that's just not very smart. So I definitely now look at training as something that I do both for the competitive sport, but also for something where I can actually relax. And obviously not physically, but mentally, I can just relax and let go during my training sessions. And that is just time that is reserved for me. It's not for my clients. I'm training now, and that is the priority now. In two hours, I'm back to my clients and what they need. But during my training session, it's all about me, and I'm the top priority. So that is definitely something that training is standing for now, and it hasn't been like that in the past. In the past, it was always like, okay, I have to be available 24-7, even during my training sessions, and I no longer do that. That's definitely a big, big change for me. Mm. Yeah, I see a lot of coaches when they get so busy and just busy in general, they really diminish their own training and even their physique as well. And I think it's very hypocritical, especially as a physique coach, because it is my belief that, you know, you are your best advertisement and leading by example is really important. So don't get me wrong. I don't think you need to be in comp prep shape all year round, nor is that achievable. But you know, you should have some level of priority for your coaching. And I think someone who leads from the front is usually a great leader. And again, it's a very simplistic way of saying sort of, you know, the obvious really by practicing what you preach. And I think for a lot of coaches or even people that they're very busy on their phone for myself, I've tried as well, that whole approach. And if I really need to, I will, but you know, you see that message come through, you open it up, you've opened a can of worms and then mm. you're taking, you know, energy away from your training. And I think when you get to the high end as a natural bodybuilder, you really need to, to be present in the moment because there's, there's multiple factors going on. It's not enough to just move some weight anymore. You know, there's got to be the intensity, the precision, the technique, and ultimately you need to be able to rest and recover. And I think if there's too many stresses, as you said, it just really negates the whole point of training. And for many people, I know myself, it is a form of therapy. So I really try where I can, apart from the odd message that might be urgent or something like posting on social media to add to what I'm doing and show people a training cue. I really try and keep it just my training. I put my music on, I, I fill out my own weights log and, uh, or if I'm training with a, an associate or a friend, you know, we'll have a conversation in between sets, but it's, it's very much a selfish time. But I have found that that has actually helped me become you know, not only a better coach, because when I'm coaching, I'm coaching, when I'm training, I'm training, etc. having a separation between different states and different activities, because otherwise they all amalgamate, especially for people working from home and now, and you've got this environment and it's like, oh, I work here, I eat here, I train here, I sleep here. 
it's not a healthy thing. And we've seen, you know, many examples of that. So I think, yeah, having a, a healthy separation is really key uh, to evolving that. Valentin, for the future online for you, where do you see yourself going? Is there any other avenues, for example, would you like to employ? Do you employ other people? Do you want to grow laterally? Uh, is there any other endeavors that you've got? Or are you happy doing what you're doing, living the simple life and, and traveling when things open back up as well as serving your clients with great value? I will definitely try and make the business grow over the coming years and slowly build up my roster. But at the same time, the, the, t the top priority is the quality of the coaching itself because I, I've seen what is possible in the last three to four years and how quickly something can grow. But at the same time, you're always juggling numerous things at the same time, right? It's not just that one thing, it's numerous things. So uh, being able to compete, being able to have your training at the highest level, being able to take on more clients without the coaching quality going down, but actually increasing. Like all of these things sound like simple goals, but a being able to achieve it simultaneously is definitely a big undertaking. So that is something that I will continue to do for the coming years. I do not plan on taking on any employees. I thought about that in the past, but when, when it's about, especially competition prep coaching, it's very, very focused on the coach and that single person that is coaching you through contest prep. I don't see myself employing somebody else who is then coaching a client through a prep because that client wants to be with a particular coach. So um, I, I will definitely stay solo as far as that goes and just work on building up my client roster in the coming years. For sure. That makes sense. I guess it's um, quite appropriate to ask when your next competition will be and what your career endeavors are with your own training. Yeah. The initial goal was 2020 and that was obviously not possible. Then 2021, so this year, is also not going to be possible because I have so many people compete from last year that was scheduled for last year. So all of them are competing this year now. So now I have to do 2022. So that's a five-year gap between on stage. But at the same time, this is like a little extra positive pressure. So I, so I actually look way, way different. So the goal with competing is not just to improve by a few percent. It's actually to look completely different. That's my goal for next year. And so far we are on schedule for that. And yeah, five years is a long time, but at the same time, a lot of things happened in between 2017 and 2022. So I'm looking forward to next year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that'll be really exciting. I think as a natural bodybuilder, you know, as you get deeper into your career, those off seasons to a degree need to be elongated just because it's not really physiologically possible to be putting large amounts of muscle tissue on the frame. And ultimately it's called bodybuilding, right? So <laughs> I like to remind people that as much as it's great to stay in condition, I think competing every year is, um, is a lost cause, especially if you really want to improve and you have to go away and really build that physique away. So that'll be an exciting time and, and something that will, I think will bring a lot of reward for you. If anything, it'll be a blessing in disguise because like you said, you can come in with a, a completely better package all over because you've had that time to really facilitate growth. I wanted to talk a little bit as well for the more advanced listeners uh, and coaches more specifically. When you're coaching comp prep clients online and we get to the fine end of the pencil and we're looking towards peak week, we're looking towards competition day, 
how do you manage that? Obviously, you've got some high touch points, but it's very intricate. It's very individualized with the client. You know, we've got the tanning, we've got the posing, we've got, depending on the venue as well, the different times and categories. Could you maybe talk us through how you systemize that for a client and how you keep that communication flowing, especially for clients who perhaps it's their first time competing or they're a little bit nervous because obviously their coach isn't there with them. So that might leave them feeling a little bit sort of alone, I guess, or unsure. How do you kind of bridge that gap as an online coach to still provide a really complete experience for that client? Yeah, so I coach a lot of people that step on stage for the first time every season. And that's definitely a challenge for the coach himself as well, because you have to have a certain skill set and a certain level of communication with these clients so they don't feel left alone. Because the first time is going to be a stress ball. It's just going to happen. The first time is going to be somebody who thinks about things he doesn't need to think about yet, because it's all about getting you into shape, getting you conditioned, and then stepping on stage. Don't worry too much about the color of your posing trunks or if the spray tan is perfect. There are some things out of your control and making the person understand that right from the beginning is going to be very, very important. You will have to remind them throughout prep anyway, but to let them know straight from the beginning, okay, some things will not be controllable by us. We will try and dominate everything we can control, but there will be some things we cannot control, especially on show day, like the show running order. Um, maybe the show is late, which is usually the case. So, okay, you have to wait an extra hour backstage before you can actually step on stage. All of these things are normal. And if you actually communicate that before it happens, the client will be a lot more relaxed when it happens. Because if they like, if, if you as a coach don't communicate to them, hey, things just happen and no show day is perfect, they will freak out when it's not perfect because they think by default, okay, everything is going to run smoothly everything is going to be perfect no it's not a show day is usually very messy things happen people forget things like all of these little things that are going to occur throughout a show day so it's once again comes down to clear distinct and direct and honest communication to the client right before prep starts all the way up to show day to actually let them know beforehand what is most likely going to happen next that is a huge huge a huge, huge factor, especially with first timers, because they will want to know what is going to happen next. And it just gives them a sense of security and confidence when they know, okay, coach told me this is going to happen next. And then it happens. That's just going to be a big plus point for the coach and for the confidence of the client. Yeah, no, that's great. I think, again, it comes down to that communication and making sure the client is aware beforehand so they're not sort of getting themselves in too deep or they're not turning around going, oh, I, I didn't expect this. And as you said, there is always things out of our control and the art and the science of, of peaking someone on stage is just so individualized um, at that sort of fine end of the pencil in my experience that it is something that, you know, yeah, the first time is going to be a starting point. And then, you know, to be able to refine that and then have that data with the client experience that you can draw from next time. And I think, you know, building that relationship with the client is critical 
And if you're able to work with that client in the future, you're able to get them into better and better condition because you understand how their body works. You understand their weaknesses, their strengths, what they respond to. And as a coach, that's probably really underrated from a client perspective. And I don't think a lot of people realize that even for lifestyle clients that you need to give the coach an opportunity to learn about you from that sort of specificity perspective to be able to serve the client better. Have you ever had any unnatural or enhanced athletes want you to coach them? And in your opinion or your, I guess, preference, why natural bodybuilding for you and obviously the people you coach um, apart from, I guess, the obvious? Yeah, I've coached two enhanced athletes, one of them to the stage and the other one just in a, in a regular off-season. And the problem for somebody who is natural himself that I see is you, there's just a huge extra variable that you don't know a whole lot about. Like, I don't know anything about uh, these supplements, right? I don't know anything about them, so I don't know how to use them and how to manipulate one's physique using them. So when you are in contest prep with somebody who's enhanced and you don't know anything about that, and all of a sudden they weigh in five pounds heavier or five pounds lighter, whatever it may be, you look what is going on with the training, what is going on with nutrition, but those are the two wrong places to look for any of the changes. It's the extra variable, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then trying to problem solve that when you don't even understand the extra variable is pointless. So from that point on, I realized, okay, I'm just going to take on natural competitors because I actually know why these changes are taking place. And it's not just something that pops up out of nowhere. Oh, that's that's understandable and it makes a lot of sense and i'm sure we could delve into that more but again it's um keeping it relevant and each to their own at the end of the day it's very fascinating and intricate but as you said there's many other variables to consider with that science i'd love to chat about before we wrap up as well just some differences between your female athletes and your male athletes and perhaps any inferences or trends that you notice uh, from coaching many, many people uh, female versus male and any differences in communication and perhaps even training that you trend towards from a coach's perspective and on what you see that are the main differentials, if any, um, from those variables and on what the telltale signs are. And I know, again, there can be rules against the law, but what are the things that you tend to see the biggest, uh, I guess, discrepancies between a, a male athlete and a female athlete, not just from, I guess, a, a physiological and a responsive um, aspect, but from even the like qualitative aspect as well of communication and, and how to program for them. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a pretty good mix of female and male clients. So both for competition prep and also for, for lifestyle clients and who I've coached in the past. So I can definitely speak on that. Nowadays, I do not really differentiate a whole lot when I write a training program for a man or for a woman, because what I've seen with individuals, and once again, they, the exceptions prove the rule, they, they just need what they need, right? They don't need it because they're a woman. They don't need it because they're a man. They need it because they are who they are. But in general, when it comes to that, there's definitely a higher volume tolerance with most females and they can recover rather quickly from that. So 
when they tell me, okay, I did like an extra three or four warm-up sets with almost a working weight, and then I felt ready, I'm like, no guy can usually do that because they will be gassed after the warm-up sets, right? So um, women usually recover rather quickly from a certain volume load and from a certain volume threshold, and men do not. They will just chronically fatigue more and more and more, and then they will need a deload. So that's definitely one of the big differences. As far as nutrition, I've always tried to find differences between men and women and like periodize the, the nutrition to a woman's cycle, all of these things. And I've completely gotten away from that because what I saw with most of my female clients is that it actually emphasizes the like waiting for the next cycle. It emphasizes, okay, now I have to feel bad because the cycle is coming. And mm -hmm. now we adjust nutrition because of that. It almost like emphasizes, okay, now I feel weak. Now I don't feel good. And now we, based on that, change training and nutrition. And it usually backfired with most female clients. So I just try to get away from that. I want them to communicate it with me and let me know what is going on. But at the same time, we don't take any drastic measures when it comes to training and nutrition as far as the cycle goes. So I've also seen differences as far as peaking goes and how individuals react to different carbohydrate intakes. But then again, the differentiation between men and women really doesn't come up with that because I've had male clients that carbohydrate load with 750 grams of carbs and women that carb load with 1,200 grams of carbs. So even though she's 30 kilograms lighter than the, than the guy. So it all comes down to the individual and to the person. And while there's some trends you can notice between male and female, it's something I've tr I try to get rid of completely and just focus on the client and the individual uh, himself or herself. Mm. No, that makes sense. And, and I appreciate your insights on that as well. Now, before we get into some rapid fire questions, what are some of the tips that you would leave the listeners with for those who want to pursue a career in online coaching, apart from obviously becoming an, an in-person coach first, and even some resources or tools that you've found to be very valuable for yourself? I would definitely prepare myself to put in the work for many, many years and not expect this to be quick just because you're aiming at an online business. Just because it's online doesn't mean it's easier than something where you have a store or something in the real world outside, right? Just because you're able to be flexible and versatile with your workplace and everything doesn't mean it's going to happen just like that. So you have to be you have to be behind this. You have to put in a lot of working hours and a lot of thought in what you want to do. And most importantly, you have to start before you're ready. This is something a lot of people do, especially with online businesses. They prepare their website, they prepare their social media, but they don't have a single client. That's a problem. You have to start before you actually feel confident and ready with this. You have to dive into the water and actually get going. And then later on, when you have a nice client base, you can worry about things like your website and your social media and all of this. But before that, you just have to make sure you actually get people to be coached by you. That's the number one thing. We've talked about the personal training experience and how important that is. But to actually get there and before you actually get your per first personal training client, you have to be confident enough to go out there and actually show people what you are capable of as a coach. As far as resources, 
that's a tricky one because to be honest, there's not much going on as far as, as online coaching or taking a personal training business to a online coaching business. I myself, I do an online coaching seminar for the strength coach program here, which is always fully booked because there's not a whole lot of resources out there. There's no online coaching blueprint book or anything out there. Right. So what I suggest to people is get the basics, the principles of training and nutrition down first and foremost, that is your base. And from there, you just have to get into gyms and learn how to interact with people in a gym setting. That is way more important than learning about different business skills or anything else that comes later, right? You can make a few mistakes there, but you cannot make a whole lot of mistakes at the gym because everybody's going to think you're a weirdo. So you have to be able to make sure, get the training and nutrition knowledge down, learn the basics, and from there, develop those soft skills we've talked about, those social skills. Get into different gyms, talk to people, train in these gyms, and make people aware that you know what you're talking about, and then start coaching them. Yeah, and I think that's a, a really concise way to summarize what's been a very, very informative of an educational podcast and conversation, especially for a lot of people in the fitness space and in the online coaching community as well, Valentin. And I really appreciate your time and insights on that. And perhaps, yes, we will need to do a round two on a couple more specific topics. However, I like to finish with some rapid fire questions. They're a bit fun. They're a bit more lighthearted and human in nature. So my first one would be, if you could choose a superpower, what would it be and why? I would probably like to fly simply because that is something that has always fascinated me. I mean, it, it's something probably why so many people love flying and, and just traveling. It's just the, the fact that you are in midair and you're just floating through air. That is something that would be very, very cool. Yeah, I don't think you can really go past flying. It just seems to be the default go-to. I mean, why not? It, it's a great experience, especially now, to be able to get around. Right, right. <laughs> My second one would be because of the current situation. If you could wake up anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would it be and why for you? It would be somewhere close to Chicago because I would like to visit one of my best friends, Cliff Wilson, again. And that is currently obviously not possible. I've seen him and his family two years ago, the last time. So that is definitely on my list. And I hope that is going to be possible this year. So we'll see. For sure. For sure. Cliff's a great guy and a, a bit of a fun fact for all the listeners. His podcast is still by a country mile, the most downloaded podcast on my platform which not surprising, but compared to some of the guests and the names is still a little bit uh, of a surprise and just shows the level of, I think, what's the word I'm looking for? Influence uh, that he has and respect in the industry. And I must say such a down-to-earth guy, super knowledgeable and uh, yeah, really enjoyed my, my conversations with Cliff. So he's a, he's a phenomenal guy and I hope that you can connect with him again soon. My last one, my last rapid fire question would be uh, just a real fun one about food. And what is your favorite food? What does Valentin's favorite meal look like? Uh, and perhaps it can be after a competition or even it can be in the off season to get the calories in. 
is is actually something very basic and that's just a meathead in me it's steak and rice steak and rice is is one of my favorite meals but it has to be good rice and it has to be a good steak obviously but um that is something i can eat in a contest prep i can eat in the off season i can eat at a restaurant i can eat at somebody's house steak and rice when it's done well and it's high quality meat is it's it's not toppable it's the best ever <laughs> you need to get yourself to australia we do a cracking steak over here mate tell you Come when you're next over, come to Hurricanes. It's absolutely this bar and grill, South African steak. You can get rice, you can get potato, but the steak renowned for the meat. Tell you what, mate, you're gonna love it. Gains. Anyway, (laughs) my last question that I like to round out my podcast with is could you identify, Valentin, a fear that you've had? in your life or perhaps something that you still have a fear of what it is and how you overcame or how you're overcoming it. If it's still current. Oh, that's a good one. Um, it's actually not current anymore, but it was definitely public speaking. It was definitely speaking in front of other people, but simply by practicing and doing it in school, but later on was much more important in front of an audience that actually paid for you to speak there. That's a, that's a big one that actually completely got rid of that. And that's something I'm very happy about because it's just, it's in my opinion, it's a very essential skill. And even something like this, you're speaking to an audience, even though the audience is not in front of us, we're speaking to an audience right now. So whether it's live or online, this is in my opinion, an essential skill for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. I think that seems to be something that a lot of people can resonate with and people who have stepped over that fear or into it, if you will, as you have can really resonate and go, you know what? I wish I would have done that sooner. Hindsight's a great thing. So I appreciate you sharing and thank you for being so generous with your time, Valentin. For people who want to connect with you, they want to inquire, they want to learn more about, they want to follow your journey. Where are the best places to connect with you? That will be two places. One would be my website, which is just my name all the way through, valentintambosi.com. And the other one would be my Instagram, my social media, which is valentintambosi. No underscores, no anything. Just find me there and let me know if you need anything. Fantastic. And as always, I will put those links in the show notes or the description, depending on where you're watching. Valentin, thanks again. Really appreciate it. For everyone watching, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. If you're on YouTube, I've got to say, it does help the channel grow. I appreciate the influx that we've had lately. And if you're someone who's a regular listener and watcher, please hit that subscribe button. It helps. Don't be selfish and share the knowledge. And for everyone on iTunes or Spotify as well, once again, if you've not already done so, and it is safe, if you're not driving, please leave a rating and a review. Give us some comments. Let us know what you think. It really does help get this out to more people. And of course, until the next episode, everybody stay fearless.